Well, please turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 12. We're looking at uh, chapters 11 through the first part of 13 as we look at the story of the Exodus from Egypt, the 10th plague, and the celebration of the Passover. We began looking at this uh, last week, uh, so if you're new here or uh, gone for a couple weeks and are back, that's kind of where we are. And we're going to look here at the kind of last part of, of chapter 12, and we're going to be participating in the Lord's Supper later in our service, and the Lord's Supper at Bethany is open for all who have placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We encourage you uh, to uh, be a part of a, a local church or to be uh, looking for a local church. We, we believe it's important to be connected to the local church as you participate in the Lord's Supper, but you don't have to be a member of our church uh, to do so. And so we'll be doing that together at the end of our service. And the Lord's Supper, of course, uh, has some some uh, grounding here. It's it's uh, found that the story of the Passover is foundational to understanding the the, the Lord's Supper, and so the same truths that are proclaimed in the Passover are uh, amplified in our celebration of the Lord's Supper. So it's, I'm looking forward to being able to proclaim those with you uh, together at the end of our service. But here we are in Exodus chapter 12, and if you would please, if, if you're able to, uh, stand with me in honor of God as we, as we read His Word together. And you, uh, We're going to read through the end of the chapter. If you need to sit down, uh, feel free to do so. It says in verse 29, again, there's been preparation for this 10th this plague and a description of the Passover, and we come to verse 29 of Exodus 12. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on the throne, to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the, the people of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks and on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor on the side of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. Thus, they plundered the Egyptians. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them, and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened. Because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is the night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it. But every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. No foreigner or hired servant may eat of it. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. And all the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised, then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. 
There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. All the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. You may be seated. May God encourage us through his word this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we recognize this morning our need for your, your grace as we've, we've sung, recognizing that there's nothing that we have to, to offer you. Everything we have came from you. You're the giver of all good things. And we would ask this morning that you would help us to live redemptively, to, to take these, these truths and, and to change. Lord, we are not who we want to be. Help us to conform to the image of your Son. We pray this in his name. Amen. Last week we began talking about the tenth plague and the exodus. The tenth plague and the story of the exodus is one of the the most important events in God's story of redemption. The movement from enslavement in Egypt to the promised land is a vivid picture of our salvation, how we have been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred into God's kingdom through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. He's the deliverer. And so what happens here is a redemptive picture of what happens to us through faith in Jesus Christ. And that's what it was meant to be. It was meant to be this picture of the gospel. It was meant to be this this illustration of what it looks like to be delivered. That's why this took place. And as I mentioned last week, what's interesting is that as this important event is described, as this most, one of the most important events in all of human history, the redemptive event in the Old Testament, as, as this takes place and Moses describes it, I mentioned last week it's interesting that more time is spent describing how to remember the event than the actual event. In other words, in terms of proportion of space in the narrative, there's more space devoted to describing how to remember the Passover than space devoted to the actual deliverance. More space spent talking about, okay, here's the Passover, here's what you do, here's how you're going to observe in the future, here's who can observe it, here's who cannot observe the Passover, here's how you do the Feast of Unleavened Bread that's part of the Passover, here's, um, here's how you're going to teach it to your children. There's more time spent on that aspect of the story than on actually what takes place. Why is that? As I mentioned last week, you and I have a need to live redemptively. You and I need to live lives that that correspond to the gospel. For those of us who are believers, we were transferred from the domain of darkness into God's kingdom through faith in Jesus Christ that took place in the past. And hopefully, if we're believers, we could say, okay, this is, this is who I used to be. And then God's transformative work took place in my life and through my faith in Jesus Christ. And now this is who I am today. By God's grace, not my works, by God's grace, through my faith in his son Jesus, I was this and now I'm this. And yet at the same time, Those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ this morning, I believe would say, who I am this morning is not who I hope to be someday. I have a need for continued growth. Who I am today is not who I hope to be in the future. There are some aspects of of who I am and how I act that that are not what God would, would want them to be, and nor are they what I would desire them to be. I don't think like I know I need to think. Some of my thoughts are not in accordance with how God would have me think about my life and about um, right actions. And so my, my thought patterns are not what they should be. 
I need to change in the things I dwell on. I, I want to be different there. I want to be different in how I speak. Sometimes I, I gossip or I don't speak the truth with people or I say unkind things to people, to my coworkers or to my friends or if I'm a parent to my child or if I'm married to my spouse. And so my, my mouth isn't what it needs to be and the things I do aren't what they should be. I today am not who I know I need to be. I need to be living in, in light of who I've re- been redeemed by God to be. We, we recognize that. We should recognize that if we're, we're Christians. And at the same time, not only, not only is that a reality in our lives, but we have a continued need to be reminded how we can change. My temptation sometimes is to say, okay, I, I need to think I need to, 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 to set my mind rightly upon God. Okay, I'm just going to start doing that. Or I need to say nicer things. Okay, starting now, I'm making a decision. I'm going to say nicer things. Or I need to be a nicer person. So starting now, I'm going to be nicer. And we kind of believe that even though we are saved by God's grace through faith, we kind of have this, this belief that, okay, I can, just, I can just be different. I'm here. I want to be here. I'm going to change. Boom. And we think we can do it. But we can't, right? And so not only do we need to have a desire to change, we need to be reminded how change takes place. We need to be reminded that change takes place not not simply by me deciding, but by God and his grace changing me through my continued faith in his son Jesus Christ. As I continue to believe and trust in him, God's grace works within me to allow me to change. In other words, I need to be reminded of the gospel. I need to be reminded of redemptive truths, and I need to meditate on them. I have that need. Which again brings us to the Passover The people of Israel had that same need. And here in Exodus, we see God providing this this time for them to meditate upon redemptive truths. Truths that would help them live rightly before God by by trusting in him and in his deliverance through a promised Messiah. And you and I have that same need. We need to reflect upon and meditate upon the gospel upon redemptive truths, truths that are going to help us know how change takes place, how me today, by God's grace, becomes the person God desires me to be. As we look at this passage, as I mentioned last week, the truths that the Passover calls us to remember are essential redemptive truths that change our lives as we meditate on them. The the truths that the Passover calls us to remember are essential redemptive truths that, that change our lives as we meditate on them. Let's remind ourselves what those truths are. The first question we ask ourselves is, is what does the Passover teach us? That's what we began looking at last week, right? What does the Passover teach us? And the first thing we saw was this. Uh, the Passover helps us understand the terror of God's judgment. And we looked at chapter 11 and the reality of, of God's judgment there. Pharaoh is warned about the coming of God's judgment, and he does not respond to those warnings there in chapter 11. And we talked about the idea of fear and how God uses fear and the idea of displeasing a holy God, he uses that to, med- uh, to motivate us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11 says, Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. In chapter 7 of 2 Corinthians, Paul says, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. The Passover was a time where the people of Israel meditated and remembered what what had taken place, and it was a time of remembering God's judgment. There's a a fear of a holy God. Here's the second thing, number two. 
The Passover helps us understand the preciousness of the Lamb's blood. You look at chapter 12 there, and as it begins, it describes what they're to do with this this lamb, bringing it into their home, a a lamb without blemish. You take it, and you are to to kill the lamb at twilight on the 14th day of the month, and this is the, the first month of the year for them. Then you're to take the blood and, and put it on the, the doorpost. And as we talked about last week, this is a, a picture here of the, the substitutionary atonement, a, a person dying in the place for, of someone else. As God's judgment strikes the land of Egypt, there has to be some sort of basis of distinction between the Israelites and the Egyptian. In other words, as, as God comes through, as this, this angel comes through and there's this, this, this time of death and judgment, what causes the Israelites to escape God's judgment and the Egyptians to experience God's judgment? There has to be some sort of basis for distinction. It can't just be arbitrary. And what we see is it's not because the Israelites were really good people and the Egyptians were really bad. That's why there was a distinction made between the people. No, we see it's, it's God's sovereign grace. And it's as, as God in his sovereign grace reveals salvation, the message of salvation, he, he sees the, the blood of the Lamb, And the blood of the lamb stands in place of the blood of the firstborn. God passes over the houses with the blood of the lamb on them. And the Passover would have been a a yearly reminder. A yearly reminder to the people of Israel that they experienced salvation. They experienced deliverance. Not because of their own goodness, but because of the blood of the lamb. Each Passover, as they, as they ate the lamb and as they celebrated the Passover and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, they were reminded of this reality. We escaped God's judgment, not on the basis of being better than the Egyptians, but on the basis of this lamb's blood. We talked about that reality for us as well. The idea that you and I stand before God and we escape his judgment and we, we, we're, this is who we are now. We, we escape God's judgment because of our faith in his son Jesus, not our own works. And, and yet we, we continue to live lives that bring honor and glory to him, not because of our own works, but because of, of God working in us. As you and I place our faith in Jesus Christ, not only does Jesus Christ take upon himself our sins, but he gives us his righteousness as we read in First. Peter chapter 3, verse 18, it says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. And Paul would say in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now how in the world do I become a better person? How do I change I don't change because I am a a, a better person. I change because I have Christ in me. I'm in Christ. I have a righteousness that doesn't come from me. That's the gospel. Jesus gets my sin. I get his righteousness. And apart from that, I'd have no hope of being delivered from the domain of darkness, much less I'd have no hope of continuing to, to change and be more and more like Jesus Christ, to be conformed to his image. Number three, the Passover helps us understand the eternality of the, of the gospel message. We talked about that last week as well. Here in Exodus chapter 12, kind of beginning in verse 14, it talks about how this is a memorial day. You're going to continue to keep it, and, and it's going to be this, this perpetual feast. We'll talk more about feasts in, in a few months, but what we need to understand here is that the, the truths that are proclaimed here at the Passover are, are truths that are going to be continued to proclaim, be proclaimed all into eternity. John, in Revelation 5, writes this in verse 11. He says, I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice. And so this is, this is what all these myriads of angels and the living creatures and the elders are proclaiming, they're saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb, worthy is the lamb who was slain 
to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. In other words, this, this truth that Jesus is the Passover lamb is a truth that is going to form the worship of the people of God forever. A few years ago, I read the Lord of the Rings trilogy loved that last book, The Return of the King, and just thought it was a very beautiful ending to this really long trilogy at times, right? Beautiful ending. And then the movie, I read it because the movies were coming out, and watched the movies, and watched that last movie, and just again, there's just beautiful, beautiful truths that were contained in that story. And then recently I heard someone reading parts and excerpts from The Return of the King, and as as they read those excerpts of the return of the king, I, I saw th- or heard things I'd never heard in the story and just thought about the beauty. And then I heard someone giving a lecture on the return of the king and some allusions there to, to Christ. And, and just, again, saw the, the beauty of the story kind of at another level. And I think that's an element of a good story, right? A, a good story is a story that can that can continue to, to surprise and delight and entertain. A bad story, you're ready to be over with pretty quickly, right? A bad story, okay, I'm, I'm done with this. But good stories, the story you can return to again and again and again and see, see new things as you, as you read it, new things you can glean out of it. The story of the gospel is the most beautiful of all stories. It's a story that right now we only have a, a limited ability to even begin to comprehend. And it's a story that is, as we understand the eternality of God and the, the story of God in eternity past, planning this story and, and, and how it came about and the different things that God has done throughout human history. It is, it is a story that is going to inform us and delight us and teach us forever. And at the center of that story is this, this lamb, this Passover lamb, the lamb who's worthy. Worthy is the lamb who is slain. The Passover helps us understand the eternality of the gospel message. Now here's the fourth thing. The Passover helps us understand the need to personally trust in God and his lamb. Look at verse 21 with me from chapter 12. It's, it's interesting what happens here. Look at your text. You've, you've been there, and at, at the very beginning of chapter 12, God begins to describe the Passover and, and what they're to do and, and how they're to do it. And, and now you come to verse 21, and Moses calls the elders, and he tells us, or he tells the elders what we've already read in the text. In other words, Moses could have said, as he wrote this, you know, then... Moses said to the elders what God had told them, and they did it. But, but that's not what he does. Moses writes, and he, remind, he, he says, go and select lambs for yourselves, which we already saw at the beginning of chapter 12. He says, do it according to your clans. We'd already seen that. Kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop. He tells them to do all the things that we've already read that they're to do. And then, as he gives them this instruction, Notice in verse 24, he mentions the sons, you know, your, your children. And then he talks about the future. Verse 25, when you come to the land, the Lord will give you to keep the service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by the service? You shall say, it is a sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt. When he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And then notice what happens next. It says, after Moses has, has told the people all these things, the elders all these things, it says they, and notice the order, it says they bowed their heads and worshipped. And then, verse 28, the people of Israel went and did so, as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. In other words, God tells Moses, here's what you're doing, Moses tells the elders and the elders respond with worship and then obedience. Obedience flows from worship. Now, here's what I, I think is very important for us to understand as, as we think about the Passover and what it teaches us. 
it's not enough for the people of Israel for Moses to believe this. It's not enough for Moses to, to kill a Passover lamb. There's a necessity that the people of Israel have to personally believe and receive the things that God has told Moses. Apart from personal belief and action upon that belief, there's no salvation. Now, this is, this is really important for those of us in this room. It's not enough for us to say, well, um, I'm a part of a good church. Or I have some friends that are really strong believers. Or I have parents who are strong Christians. In fact, how many of you, let me just talk to the, the younger people here uh, for a moment. How many of you are uh, 15 or, or younger? How many of you are, are 15 or, or younger in here this morning? Yeah, I know you are. You're probably 14. Yeah. You know, Dane, yeah, how, how, so, raise, raise your hands again, sorry, I wasn't looking over here, okay, yeah, 15 or, 15 or younger, say, okay, yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting what God, let me just talk to the kids, let me talk to you, those of you who are younger, this, this is kind of a, a cool thing about God's word, God expects neat things of you, he believes you're capable of some neat things, in fact, you look at the stories in the Bible and you see it's often very young people who are capable of great faith. Mary, Jesus' mother, and we talked about Joseph a few months ago, and uh, Josiah, you know, this young king, eight years old. God, God, God knows that, that you as children, as young people, are capable of, of believing in him and trusting in him. In fact, young people, this is kind of cool. Jesus tells adults they need to be more like you. You know that? Jesus calls his disciples. He doesn't say, children, I want you to look at my great disciples, and I want you to be more like my disciples, these adults. No, he, he looks at the disciples. He says, hey, you disciples, you need to be like these kids. He says that in, in Matthew chapter 18. He says to his disciples, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, now kids, what do you, why do you think that is? What is it that you have that adults need? Well, here's, here's one thing. Here's one thing. Here's kind of what I think it means, at least. Um, you know, Dane, you probably, did you, did you buy groceries this week, or do you think mom and dad handled that? Yeah, mom and dad handled that, right, Dane? And Dane, you probably didn't even think about it, right? You, mom and dad have got this covered. You know, uh, Hannah, you, you probably didn't uh, ask, hey, Dad, can I, can I cover the gas this week? Uh, you drive around a lot. I got this, Dad. There's just, just this natural tendency we have as, as young people to, to trust in our parents to provide for us without even thinking about it, right? They've got it. That, ab that ability to trust in someone, to believe in someone, to rely upon someone is something that we all need. And so young people, you have the, the ability to, to trust. You have the ability to trust in mom and dad to provide for you. And here's what God would have you do as well. God would have you, young people, listen here, God would have you trust in Jesus. Just like you trust in your mom and dad to provide for the physical things in life, food and, and the, uh, the lights that come on and your bed and your, you know, your toys and all, just like you trust a mom and dad to provide those things, God calls you to, to trust in him for your salvation, to be saved, to have a relationship with him, to believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for your sins and that you can come into relationship with God, you can, you can be with God forever in heaven, relationship with him forever by, by believing in him, by trusting in him. Now here's, kids, here's, here's the thing I really need you to, to remember and think about. You have to make that decision on your own to trust in Jesus. Mom and dad, grandma, grandpa, aunt, uncle, your brother, they can't make that decision for you. Each of you have to make that decision for yourself. And, and the really sad thing, one of, the, one of the saddest things for me, and one of the saddest things for parents is whenever a young person goes through the church 
and is around people of faith and kind of hears Bible stories, but, but never personally trusts in Jesus. And parents, the same, older people, the same is, is true for us. It's not enough just to simply be around the gospel. It's not enough for us to be around other people who have relied upon the Lamb's blood for salvation. We must personally trust in Jesus. Here's a, a, fifth, a fifth thought. The Passover helps us understand the reality of God's salvation and deliverance. And as you look at this, this terrible part of the passage, terrible in its, its ferocity and the reality of what's taking place, we notice a couple things. One, we just notice the, the incredible power of God. If you look at your Bibles there, it's there in verse 29. It says, it's midnight and the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne, to the firstborn of the captives, of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. There's this, this, terrible, this terrible time where all the firstborn die. God his power, there's, there's nothing that, that Pharaoh can do. He and his servants and all the Egyptians rise up and, and there's a great cry. And they call upon the people of Israel to leave. They're urgent, get out of here. We're all going to die, the Egyptians say. Be gone, says Pharaoh. God is powerful in working about his salvation. We also see as we look at this, this section, the provision of God, God's provision. As the people leave, they leave in haste, and yet it says they, they plunder the Egyptians as the Egyptians give them the, the gold and the silver and their clothing. Be gone, and God provides in his deliverance. There's one other thing that I want you to notice. There's so much more here, but just, just one more thing I want you to notice as we, as we look at the reality of God's salvation and deliverance. So here, here's where it happens. This is the text where there's deliverance from Egypt, and it's, it's powerful, and God is providing. God's salvation is extensive. It's extensive in its power. It's extensive in its provision. It's extensive in who participates. Look at this. In verse 37, it says there's, this is chapter 12, the end of verse 37, it says about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. And then look at verse 38, it says a mixed multitude also went up with them. What does that mean? What does that mean? It means that along with the Israelites, as, as, they, as they leave, there are also some Egyptians that go with them. Remember the, the story of God's salvation is a, a, a big story. This, this story here in chapters 11 through 13 is not isolated. It's all part of, of God's great story of redemption. We've, we saw that God promised deliverance through Abraham and the Abrahamic covenant, and, and this, is, this is connected to that. And remember, in the Abrahamic covenant, kind of beginning there in Genesis chapter 12, God said to Abraham, look, Abraham, through you, I'm going to, to bless the nations. I'm going to give you blessing. I'm going to bless you with uh, descendants. I'm going to bless you with this land. I'm also going to cause the other nations to be blessed through you. And this, this deliverance that the Israelites experience, there are other nations, the Egyptians here, who, who participate in it as well. And as the people go to the promised land, they're, they're going to be there to, to reach the other nations. God's plan of missions begins long before the New Testament. What does this mean for us that as we think about the Passover and the reality of, of God's salvation, the reality of his deliverance? I think it means a few things. One, we recognize God's salvation in my life is powerful. And I know from, from talking with some of you, from the emails I get, from the conversations that we have, I know that there are many of us struggling to live in the power of the gospel and the, the truths of the Passover remind us, no, God's salvation is powerful. It also reminds us that, that God is, has provided for us in his salvation. And we think, okay, here I am in the present. How do I know that God has a plan for the future? Well, 
I look at the Passover and I see that God's, God's salvation is extensive. It's extensive in, in how he provides. I was listening this last week to someone who had spent some time with uh, Dr. Schreiner, Tom Schreiner from Southern Seminary. And I don't know when he was speaking, but I guess several years ago, Dr. Schreiner's wife had been in a, a bicycle accident and, and had a, some, some severe head trauma, and they weren't sure if she was going to survive. And then after they thought, okay, she's going to survive, they weren't sure how extensive the, the brain damage would be. And, and so I think by God's grace, uh, she, she recovered fully. But at the time, they weren't sure. And Dr. Schreiner and this, this man were talking, and the man was just asking how Dr. Schreiner was doing. He says, well, um, look, I've, I've always been living in eternity. And, and this doesn't change that. It, it just reminds me of that. You understand what he's saying? So I've always, Dr. Schreiner said, I've always been in a body that's deteriorating. This, this doesn't change that reality. It's not like I wasn't deteriorating and now I am. My brain is, is, is in the process of a long, slow slide, perhaps. And this just reminds me of that. <coughs> You and I are, are always living in light of eternity. As we see here the story of, of God's redemption and its extensiveness and, and its power and its provision, it's okay, right now, God has all the resources that I need for complete and total deliverance, and I can trust on him to give me what I need when I need it by his grace. Another thing that I think is important for us to apply here is, is just the idea of, of participants in the gospel message. You know, I, I love what happens here. It's, it's, it's a mixed multitude. It's, it's not just the, the Israelites who leave. There are some Egyptians who have been part of the Egyptian culture, and for whatever reason, they see God's, work, God's hand at work through these, these ten plagues, and as the people of Israel leave, they say, I'm going as well. I'm coming with you. And so they become a part of the people of God, and God makes provision for their salvation as well as they become participants, and, and they have inclusion into the covenant community also. That's the gospel. And if you and I are not thinking along those lines, if you and I aren't thinking about the extensiveness of, of the offer of salvation in other people's lives, we aren't thinking the redemptive thoughts that God would desire us to think. In fact, I'd encourage you to do this. Just, just right now, if you have your phone or a pen or whatever you're, you're doing to take the notes you're so copiously taking, um, just, just jot down the, the name of, of one or two people, maybe, maybe two, three, who are some people that, that you would desire to see God's, God's grace at work in their life as they respond to the gospel? Who are some people that you can be praying for? And I, I believe it's so important for us on a daily basis to, or a regular basis to, to pray for people that, that God would redeem them so that as God works within their, their lives and they respond to the gospel message, we can, we can see God's hand at work there. Commit, commit to do that with me if you would. Sixth truth here, we get through these, we can spend some more time on communion, but the sixth thing here is the Passover helps us understand the requirements for inclusion in God's covenant people. The Passover helps us understand the requirements for inclusion in God's covenant people. Look, look what happens. So I've just talked about how extensive the the offer of deliverance is that anyone who desires can come along with the people of Israel and there's provision for people who aren't Israelites to participate in worship of God. But now as we come to verse 43, we also see there's also some exclusiveness. So there's some inclusiveness, but there's also some exclusiveness. And look what happens in verse 43 as he's talking about the statue of the Passover. He says, look, no foreigner can participate in this. But Every slave that is bought for money may eat of it, 
after you've circumcised him. No foreigner or hired servant may eat of it. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside of the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. So in order to participate in the Lord's Supper, you can't remain separate from the people of God. You have to become circumcised. You have to become a part of God's people. All, he says in verse 47, all the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised, then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. What is this telling us? It's telling us that it's not enough, again, to just kind of be around the truths of God. It's not enough to be around people of faith. In order to be fully included in the the covenant community, you must become a part of the covenant community. You need to identify yourself publicly with believers to experience the blessing of community in covenant. Once again, if I'm thinking about here I am today and I've been transformed by the gospel and I want to continue to change, what what this tells me is I can't just say, well, um, I'm kind of around people who are believing in Jesus. I'm kind of around people who are part of the covenant. I'm I'm coming to church. I'm kind of part of the worship service. No, the, the call by God for you to change is to change and grow within the context of a community of faith. God calls you to, to identify yourself publicly as, as part of his, of, his, of his family. You do it through baptism in our, in our uh, new covenant. And then you identify yourself through baptism publicly with the church, becoming a, a part of the church. All the congregation keeps it. No one is outside of celebrating the Passover, and yet only the congregation keeps it. Listening this last week to an interview with this this uh, woman, a pastor of a of a church, and she was talking about her church, and and she said, you know, I, I want to be very inclusive to people. She goes, I don't really care, I don't really care what people believe, and and I don't even really, to to some degree, care what they do. I just want them to be to feel like they're a part of the of the community. And as I listened to the interview, part of me is like, you know. I, I think that's coming from a, a heart that desires to love people, and, and yet um, my heart was also sad as I thought about those comments. Why? Because it is essential. If a person is going to be a recipient of the gospel, that they understand how that takes place. For me to fail to call a person who wants to be a part of the covenant community of of our church to understand, look, here's who Jesus is, and and he is the Passover lamb, he's the the pearl of great price. For me to fail to communicate the importance of Jesus Christ is for me to fail to give a person what they need the most. Nothing else matters. It's not enough to be around Christians, it's not enough to go to care groups and potlucks as wonderful as those things are the central message is about faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone and everything else flows from that we must identify ourselves publicly as part of the covenant community because of a true transformation that's taken place inwardly as as we've trusted in Christ alone here's the last thing in terms of these these things what we learned and we're going to kind of switch over and and apply this as we get ready to take the Lord's Supper. Number seven, the Passover helps us understand the importance of teaching the message of redemption. The Passover helps us understand the importance of teaching the message of redemption. Look what happens next. I, I love I love this, this focus. As you go on into the, the rest of chapter, th- or the first part here of chapter 13, he's talking about celebrating the Passover, and, and he says, uh, Moses is saying this to the people, when, he, when you do this and your children ask you, why are you doing this? Verse 8 says, you shall tell your son on, on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And he says, whenever 
kind of elaborate on this. Whenever you, you do these other things that God has instructed you to do with setting apart to the Lord, the firstborn of the animals, he says, when you're, verse 14, when your son says, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, this is you in the future speaking to your children, Moses is telling the people. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a mark on your hand or frontless between your eyes, for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. The Passover and its celebration reminded the people of Israel that it's not just enough for you to personally trust in the Lord and love him with your heart, soul, mind, strength. You must communicate to others, and for those of you who are parents, particularly to, to children, the wonders of God, the power of his work. That brings us into this next major question, and again, I want to encourage you to be preparing your hearts for Lord's Supper. And the other question is this, what, what does the Passover mean for us? What does the Passover mean for us? First of all, it's important for us to know that the, the Passover points to and is fulfilled in a person, Jesus Christ. The Passover is all about Jesus. Jesus is identified as the Lamb of God by, by John the Baptist as, as he sees Jesus coming and says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Later in, in John chapter 1, he looks at Jesus and says, Behold, the Lamb of God. And, and Jesus Christ is our Passover Lamb, Paul tells the church in Corinth. The, the Passover, this entire imagery of a lamb dying for the people, allowing God's wrath to, to pass over salvation occurring in a home by the blood of the lamb, all of this is a picture of Jesus Christ. The Passover, the truths that are meditated, the gospel redemptive truths that are meditated upon as the Passover is celebrated, all of these truths point to the person of Jesus Christ. And now... And hopefully this, this helps us here in a moment. As you and I participate in the Lord's Supper, we also should be meditating upon the same gospel truths that find their ultimate fulfillment in the person Jesus Christ. Think about the parallels here. In Exodus 12, we read about how Passover was a memorial day. It's a time of remembrance. You come to 1 Corinthians 11, and G Paul, quoting Jesus, says, hey, this is done in remembrance of me. The exodus from Egypt is this, this movement from, from slavery to freedom. And in Colossians, we see that God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, the parallels are profound. Jesus is, he dies. He celebrates his last supper with as a Passover supper and he is the, the lamb slain at Passover. I'm going to invite the, the men to begin to come forward uh, to pass out the elements of the Lord's Supper. As they do, here, here's what I would ask for you to do this morning. As I mentioned at the beginning of our time together, I believe it's important for us to understand how change takes place. How, how do we change? How do I become a, a nicer person? And it's a prayer my wife has, I'm sure, on a daily basis. How do, how do I become a nicer, my kids? You know, how, do I, how do I become a better dad? Something my kids are maybe, maybe sharing in their Sunday school classes even as we speak. You know? how, how do I do that? It's not enough for me just to decide, you know what, it's time for Daniel to be a nicer person. I, I need something external. I, I need Jesus Christ. And the Passover 
and I need to be reminded that I don't just change on the basis of my own efforts. I, I change by God working through me as I, as I continue to trust in Christ. Just as I became a Christian by believing in Jesus Christ, by God's grace, I continue as a Christian believing in, Lord, in the Lord Jesus Christ by the grace of God. It's, it's the same thing. I need to be reminded of that and, and meditate on that. And so this morning, as we prepare to partake of the Lord's Supper together, I'd encourage you to, to meditate on those aspects of, of the gospel that perhaps God would have you meditate on this morning. Maybe for some of you, you need to be reminded of the, the reality of sin. You need to think about that, that, that coming judgment and, and this reality that's reflected in the Passover, the, 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 the death of the firstborn. And you just need to, you know, I, I'm not very... Maybe tell yourself this morning, I'm not all that concerned about sin. I need to become concerned about sin. I need to be reminded of how bad sin is and how holy God is. Maybe that's the, the aspect of the gospel you need to, to meditate on as we think about the Lord's Supper. Or maybe you just need to be reminded of God's grace, that, that God's salvation is complete and it's full. And, and right now, as you think about the, the present, the idea of continuing the future just overwhelms you because you think about who you are. And you need to, as we, as we partake of the Lord's Supper together, you need to meditate on the reality that, that God's salvation is complete and it's full and, and there is nothing beyond God's power to save us from. Or, or maybe you've just kind of began, began, uh, been a part of God's church in the periphery and, and you say, you know, I, I've, I've kind of been around Christians and now as I think about the gospel, I need to be in Christ. Maybe you need to be reminded of the power of salvation of the gospel as you meditate on the Lord's Supper this morning. You need to be reminded of the power of God's gospel in other people's lives, and you need to spend this time just, just praying for those two or three people you were thinking about earlier. Whatever the case is, by God's grace, he provides us this, this time of regular remembrance to meditate upon the gospel truths that help us understand how we change. That we change not on the basis of our works. We change not on the basis of of our own will, just, just deciding to try real hard, but we change on the basis of, of God at work through us, trusting in Jesus Christ, God's grace working through that. Let's, let's pray, and then I'm going to ask the men to pass out the elements. Father, we thank you for your son Jesus. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for Christ, our Passover lamb, pictured here in the Old Testament, and, and for uh, hundreds of years, over a thousand years, just this reminder again and again and again of this coming Messiah, Jesus Christ, the salvation found in him. We thank you that, you that you allowed him to take on our sin, gave us his righteousness. And now, as we spend this time in prayer, help us to meditate upon those gospel truths you would have us think about to become more and more like him. We pray in his name. Amen.